Hi, I'm Angie. Welcome to the podcast. Whether you've got a formal diagnosis or you just want to learn more, you're in the right place. Through eye-opening conversations, we hope to validate, inspire, educate, and get honest about the messy, nuanced reality of hyperactive, impulsive, inattentive living. I'll be speaking with people at all stages of their diagnosis journey and the parents, partners, and psychologists who all support people living with ADHD. And today we're going international. So I invited Lene on the show because she has her own notary business and I was interested in how she managed to do a job that requires so much attention to detail. But I quickly discovered she's so much more than that. I hope this conversation brings you as much joy as it did to me. So I'm Lene. Um, I am from the United States. I'm from the middle of the United States, Nebraska. So it is in a lot of ways, every stereotype that you've heard about the Midwest and just being in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but I've always lived here. It really truly is lovely. It's one of those hidden gem kind of places where there's a little bit of everything for everybody. And I absolutely love it. Um, it's just, it's really peaceful and beautiful here. So I love my mountains and I love to be able to travel and to visit, but I definitely love to come home and just be in the calm of being in the middle of nowhere. But I am one of those people who have done just about everything that you can think of. <laughs> I absolutely love dancing. That's one of my favorite things to do. I, hilariously enough, I country dance. <laughs> It's, it's, it's so much fun, um, but that's like couples dancing and line dancing. So if anybody is ever on the TikTok side of line dancing and all of that stuff, that's what we do here. Um, it's really, really fun. And I've been dancing for nine years. I'm 30, so you have to be 21 to go into bars here. So I've been dancing for nine years. And funny enough, I don't drink. I've never had alcohol in my life, <laughs> but I go to bars every week and... Um, yeah, it's just a good time with good people. So I really love that. But in terms of my other hobbies, I I grew up riding horses, which sounds like a Nebraska thing, but I never actually did that in Nebraska. Um, I model, I um, act like theater. So I'm a musician. I have been singing and playing instruments since I was a small little baby. Um, and I've also re recorded EPs with a band that I was in in college. And um, so I'm also a Christian. So I lead worship <laughs> for my church. And I've been doing that for, golly, maybe 10 years or so. That's one of my favorite things to do in all of the world. Uh, music just feeds my soul. It makes everything better. Let's see. I also, and I know we'll talk about this later, but um, my career path has almost always led me into education. So that has been such a joy just because I felt like I had a really hard time in school, even though it didn't always look like that on the outside, but internally I had such a hard time. So being able to help those kiddos was, it's just awesome. And I currently work for a university. So that's also a lot of fun. And now i I don't work with students so much. I support the professors. And then I also, I was nominated to a council for my university. So for all of the staff members um, in my university, I help with professional development um, opportunities on campus and I'm getting ready to move into community service events for the community. So 
Yeah. It's a brief. <laughs> this is amazing because do you want to explain why we connected? Do you want to talk about that side of your life? Yeah, yeah. So we connected because of the Facebook group that we're a part of, the ADHD Facebook group. And um, it's for entrepreneurs specifically, which I think is so cool. I just recently started my business and also my recent, uh, at least fairly recent in comparison to my 30 years of life um, with my ADHD Um, I was like, I need help because I had always felt like I struggled so terribly with finding what I was able to do and actually stick to it. So I'm like, I need support. I need help. And there aren't a whole lot of resources around me at the moment. So let me let's try Facebook (laughs) because it has everything. Right. So we connected because of that. So I recently started a, a notary business. So I'm a notary public that can mean a lot of different things, but I'm able to work for the state of Nebraska in that way. But then I'm also able to do real estate. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to find like-minded people because I'm like, I need help. <laughs> I am absolutely loving everything you've said already because I came into this conversation and I had these ideas of questions I was going to ask you about being a notary and how you have attention to detail and this kind of thing. But then you just throw this whole heap of other hobbies and interests and parts of your life at me. And I don't know which direction to go in now. I'm going to start with your childhood. You've talked about horse riding and and having all these interests in music. Did you know you had ADHD as a child? Or was this just you were passionate about everything and you were supported to do everything? I had no idea. (laughs) So I grew up in what is a lovely environment, but it doesn't always have the best resources. I went to private school for most of my life. So I also, I like to call it neurospicy. I'm not sure that I have very many neurospicy people in my family. And I think it was just a case of they didn't know what to look for. They didn't know what to ask or if I struggled usually. And I think that this would apply to most older generations, but If I had, like, whenever I would have struggles, it was just, oh, you need to focus. Oh, you need to sit down and have, you know, maybe take a break, but, you know, have have that focus for yourself. It was really sweet (laughs) at the time. But, like, one of the words in my house that we could not use was the word can't. So I couldn't say, I can't do this. I can't do that. My mom would not allow it. She's like, that's not a word that we use in this house, which has been very, very helpful because even though I did not know that I had ADHD, and she, which is hilarious because she would just throw me into a lot of things that I didn't even know I wanted to do. Um, she always supported that, but she just, she wouldn't let me say the word can't. And so I think it unconsciously told me that even if I'm struggling with something, and, and a lot of times I didn't feel comfortable saying how badly I was struggling, I knew that I couldn't use the word can't and that somehow I had to figure it out. And you said that at school, it was quite difficult for you. Maybe externally, you looked like you were doing quite well at school. Can you tell me a little bit about that struggle you had? Yeah. So in elementary school, I think it was a little bit easier to hide. So I went to a really small private school and there were a lot of kids. I would say there were maybe maybe 20 kids in the entire school. And that's between like kindergarten all the way up until eighth grade, where there were maybe one or two kids, usually guys, who were bouncing off the walls and they had 
they had ADHD and they had been diagnosed, it really allowed me to hide. I didn't struggle so badly because I didn't look like them. So I was able to eventually get my homework done. I, and it would always be straight A's in elementary school, that sort of thing. So it was usually fine. Um, just because I think my ability to figure things out and not ask for help, I, I eventually got there. And so nobody really saw the struggle. It changed a little bit in high school. I still had that, okay, I'm going to be able to figure it out eventually. It's okay that I don't know the answer right now, but I know that it'll be okay. And then, of course, the age of technology, Google became my best friend. Thank you, Google, because <laughs> it helped so much to be able to, to eventually get to the point where I could ask it questions. And, of course, now we have things like ChatGPT, which is great. Now I can really ask it questions. But going back to high school, it was it was a little bit harder um, because subject matter was becoming more intense, and there were some classes that I really really struggled in. Um, I did go to two high schools, so the first one was it was a little less academically intense, and like I said, I was really good at music, so I did music, I did sports, I did everything. So if there was ever a class that I struggled in, if I started to get a B, my mom was always on it. So, you know, it was, it curbed itself because of my environment. But then when I got into a more academically intense school, which I'm incredibly grateful for, it really showcased itself there. My intense struggle to be able to do certain subjects. And it wasn't because I didn't understand it. I was great in class. It was always being able to go outside of class, do my homework, turn it in. Those types of things made it really, really difficult. And in America, we have a whole lot of testing, intense testing. And testing made me so nervous. I, I felt so stupid for so much of my educational experience because I knew that I knew what I was talking about. If I could just explain it to somebody, I'm like, just let me use my words. I promise you, I know what I'm talking about. If I could do that, then I was fine. But as soon as you put a piece of paper in front of me and said, you have 30 minutes to finish this, it was gone. Everything was gone. And it was really, really difficult. And a lot of it was, a lot of it was mental. I just felt like I was so stupid and I didn't get things like other people got things. And it was so confusing why things were so easy for some people. And I just didn't understand. It didn't make sense to me. And all of that, it had never crossed my mind that maybe there's something a little neurospicy happening. I had never even heard those words. That language was nowhere around me. Um, there was no ADHD or like special education program. None of those things existed in my private school. It sounds quite similar to my story in some ways where my mum definitely didn't know I had ADHD when I was a child, but intuitively she really channeled me into lots of physical exercise, lots of activities. So it's football, horse riding, hiking, swimming in rivers. And it kind of sounds like your, your family did a similar thing, that these extracurricular activities for you were just this place of joy where you could be be you unmasked. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, I I did horse riding. I did gymnastics. I did um, acting. My, my mom is so funny. 
I think about this now and I have no idea why she put me in this, but um, in the South here, they have a thing called debutantes. And so um, it's essentially like ladies going into high society and learning about how to be a lady. I did that too. I have no idea why, <laughs> but um, it was so funny because we would always do these science and math camps. And so um, for actually the university that I work for now, um, they have this science and math program and classes of all types. So I think over the course of maybe fifth grade up until seventh or eighth grade, I think I did almost all of those camps. So there was zoology, robotics, um, engineering of different types, just about everything under the sun. It was it was really, really great. And that was our summers. And of course, we did summer camp. And at a certain point, I was a camp counselor during summer. Um, and that was always so fun. So I was constantly out playing football with the guys. And I was that kid for sure. <laughs> Where do you find the energy to keep doing this? That is such a great question because I have no idea. I tell people that I am somehow naturally caffeinated. I have no idea where it comes from. And uh, it's so fun, though, because I can do anything. I think my favorite example of that is probably dancing. So it feels like, oh, that wouldn't be that hard. But if anybody is aware of like the song, The Wobble, if you've ever done that, that's an American song for sure. But <laughs> it's a it's a line dance and people, uh, people around here, they all know it. If you go to a wedding, you're going to do the Cupid Shuffle or the Wobble or something like that. And, and then people realize that you do that level of intensity or high level intensity things for hours. But me and my friends, we do them multiple days a week. And there would be some times where be like okay friday we're gonna go dancing saturday we're gonna go dancing and then sunday we're gonna go dancing but it's in a city that's an hour away and it starts at like midnight and so we're gonna go we're gonna dance for a few hours and then drive home and then we're gonna go to work the next day we it just the the energy level has always been there even to this day it sounds like you found the dopamine releases without doing the negative chasing of dopamine. So when you said like you don't drink alcohol, in the UK, things like alcohol, drugs, these kind of bad coping strategies are quite prevalent, I find, in, especially in people with ADHD. But it looks like you just tuned into these ways of getting your dopamine in this super, super healthy way from the beginning. You know, I think that there have there's been a lot of that. I And I will say that I think my environment would be similar. We definitely have the alcohol, the drugs, the all of those things. I would say that maybe it's just because of where I live that it seems like it's a little bit less, but it really isn't. It's just a little bit more hidden um, because we are where I'm at. It's definitely more of like a religious conservative area. So I think that those things are normally done at home rather than out in public. So while we definitely have bars here, you know, and all of that sort of thing, it's just it's just a little bit more hidden is really all it is. And like I said, I grew up in a religious family. I grew up in church and I grew up in the type of religion where drinking was not allowed. So for me, I'm like, well, I'm not going to hell over a beverage. So everything's OK. <laughs> I don't I don't need it. I'll drink chocolate milk. I'll be fine. So <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I do not want to sound as though I did not have any bad coping mechanisms because I definitely did. I think that for me, the romantic side of life was where my bad coping mechanism came in. And I didn't, 
again, at that point, I did not know that I was chasing after dopamine. I didn't know that this was an ADHD thing. But when it came to my relationship with guys, I was crazy promiscuous. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that it just was that. And it was something where when I was feeling out of control, just even even if it wasn't like sexual or anything like that, it was just like my relationships with people in a general sense have been that thing that I cling to and it somehow made me feel better. And there were times where I would be, you know, in a, in a really good friendship and then I would go off of you know, just, just go off. And I, to me, it was just going off because I just felt really bad and I didn't know what to do. And then I would just not talk to people for a little bit. And then I would be like, okay, I somehow feel better now so I can go and talk to people again. So I think all of that was my bad version of coping. And I think mixed in with the other things, most people don't know, or like, it just doesn't seem as bad because it doesn't, it's not outward. And so I think correcting that or finding ways to recognize when I am going to do that has been a huge challenge. It sounds like you understand yourself. You're able to look back on your past and say, okay, this was that, this was that. I kind of know why I was doing those things. Is that how you have always been? Or is that a place you've had to work towards to become this aware of yourself? I think that in ways when I was younger, I was that way. I was... I loved to read books when I was younger. It was a safe place for me amongst so many negative things that happened. And I think that in a way, I just because, and I can talk about this too, but I've had so many negative things happen. And one of the ways that my brain has always coped with that is it forgets. So it just turns itself off and it says, okay, we're done with this. So we're just going to leave that alone. And then I would, it felt sometimes like I would just pop up in the new timeline. (laughs) And I would just kind of start over. I'm like, okay, well, I was there, but now I'm here. So I guess I'm okay. Extra big question mark. (laughs) So I would, I would do those things like journal and whatnot. So it'll, it forced me to reflect and it forced me to go back and think. Um, And I did that a lot when I was younger. And then when I got into high school and such, it just, it stopped because it felt like not doing that was easier. And then as an adult, again, life has happened. And I think that there have been, not I think, I should say that I know for sure that there are things that have happened that are not good and they're not okay. And one thing I realized about myself very much through counseling as well. Amazing plug for counseling. (laughs) It's so helpful. I have told everyone to do it for years, only started last year. And it's the best thing I've ever done. Truly. Uh, Yes, huge, huge plug for therapy. I could not agree with that more. It's the best. But it helps so much because um, as I have stopped doing that reflecting when I was a little bit younger and then started again in different ways that made sense, and especially as I'm learning who I am and what's happening, I think my ability to do that has become a lot better. But I think there have always been bits and pieces inside of me. And I think my... so. At home, like my parents got divorced when I was younger. And then uh, my mom married my stepdad when I was about 12. So there, there are, there's been that type of shift in my life. And one thing that I now attribute very much to my ADHD is that 
that sense of rejection was always very, very strong or that sense of, I don't know when things are going to change. There's this abandonment. There's these different types of things. Without realizing it, I learned to read people's emotions. And I learned very quickly that I need to know what's happening because nobody's going to tell me. And if I'm not able to anticipate what somebody is going to think or feel about my emotions, it could set something off balance. And so I think the reason why I became very good at that was because I was seeking balance, not necessarily because I was looking to learn about myself initially. I do that now, but at first that's not how it started. And this reading of people, this ability to do that, is that something that's helped you in your career when you were then working with children, working with people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that was a, I think that was a really big reason why I started to love education. One, because I wanted to help those kiddos. I know that it was really, really hard for me and I wanted to be a help to them. And just some sense of encouragement for people who are struggling because I, I don't, think that it has to be that way and it just is for most kids and that was that was my experience in private school in public school it was I I worked in a public school and (laughs) oh my gosh it was beautiful but just so different um but I think that it does draw me in a sense to wanting to just be good for people and it also helps me to to know when somebody's having a hard time it's very easy for me to pick it up But I also know that I'm hypersensitive to people's moods, people's tones, um, their language. If it changes even a little bit, I'll notice it. There's a lot of emotions that we have bubbling underneath. And I think that it's a cool little superpower that I'm usually able to detect if somebody's kind of feeling funky. But I also gravitate towards those people because I usually want to have something encouraging or even if I can just, you know, I'm like, I give hugs. We can do hugs. We don't have to talk about things. And what kind of things were you doing with the children then? So when I was teaching, um, I was I was a paraprofessional. So school had always been hard for me. Um, I had gotten to a certain point in my education where I got to what is what essentially would be like the third year in college. So when you do those things, um, you take tests to make sure that you're certified to be a teacher and all those different things. So because I had done that, even though I hadn't graduated, I was allowed to teach corrective reading in English. So with my kids, I would take them out of their classroom, usually their English classes. We would take a little group of them um, who were in our program. And so we would go specifically through lessons. And it was truly a little heartbreaking (laughs) just because they came from elementary school and I had freshmen and sophomores. So their first and second year of high school, I had them coming from elementary school where they had also been in these programs. And a lot of the time they were using the same book. It was their elementary handwriting. It was them being so far left behind that they could not keep up in their next classes. And it was just getting them further and further behind. And so I I would go over these English concepts with them. Here's how you do this. And then at a certain point, um, I realized that they weren't actually learning these things. And so I asked some of the teachers, I said, hey, like the teachers in their main class, I said, hey, I don't think that they're really learning. I would like to be able to test this to show you what I think is happening. And so normally we would do all these exercises within their little booklet that we had. Um, So I said, hey, let's just go into the library. Let's find a random book. You think it has a pretty cover? Let's take it. And so we did that. And then I tested these same concepts that I was teaching them. 
and I realized that they did not translate. So um, that was a little heartbreaking. I was like, they're really not learning. They just know what to say because of these books. And I'm like, that that makes me think of myself where I just know what to say. I know how to get past the system because it was easy enough to get past if you do it for long enough. And so I started to try to teach them like, okay, like when you're crafting an email, let's make it practical. When you're crafting an email, here's a really great way to say this. Or if you are trying to read a handbook for school um, or for work when you get into it, because you're going to have a job someday. So, you know, those different types of things, I try to bring those into my lessons and I tried to make it practical for them because it was, it was just so boring for them. And it was really, really hard for them to get to a place where they could achieve what they wanted to. And I also think that we just we just need somebody who loves us and believes in us a lot of the time and just takes the time. I think that was a really big thing is that my kiddos just needed somebody who was going to care enough to sit down with them and just take the time to say, you're amazing. You're going to get this. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> like You may be struggling right now. But let's figure out what works. Like, let's just do that. And so with a lot of them, they had no ADHD title at all. So it wasn't like I could use that to, you know, tweak what I was doing. They were just behavior. So just the word behavior is thrown out there as just a blanket statement. And since they didn't have um, they didn't have those tools that I could use, maybe maybe in another section of their what we have, we have a thing called IEPs. So in another section of their programs, they might have had those. But for me, I just had this booklet that I had to use. So yeah, it was, it was really, it was really fun. I loved it so much. Those kiddos are amazing. They truly are the best students in the world. You were trying to be for these kids, maybe what you didn't have in the classroom when you were little, when you just thought like, I'm stupid, I'm stupid. You've got someone just really, really cheerleading them and trying to give them a different view of themselves. And yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. You mentioned as well, um, you mentioned earlier about rejection. So I find it fascinating that you said you then do acting, theatre, drama, singing. These things to me are terrifying. How do you, how do those two things coexist? Or in that space, do you just feel really yourself and no rejection matters? Yeah, so... I, I feel like the best version of myself, but usually, especially if it has to do with theater, I can't see anybody. So if everybody walked out, I mean, it's me and a whole bunch of my friends on a stage and we're having a grand old time. So I think that that is, and I would say that's the exact same thing for music, uh, maybe less for music. I can see people. If they have a bad attitude, then I could probably see that. But <laughs> no, but I think that it just, I think it brings about the truer part of myself that I feel that I, I couldn't be with other people. With one-on-one conversations, it was always really, really difficult for me to feel as though I could just give myself. Like I, especially growing up, I had what in my mind was like this wall. So I would let people get up to the wall. And then as soon as I felt like they were trying to push that wall back, I'd be like, okay, let's do something to make them feel as though they know me a little bit more deeply than they actually do. So it was kind of that one foot in, one foot out mindset. But I I still wanted to be kind to people 
people just weren't safe and it just didn't feel like there was this ability to be open and accessible to people and to be vulnerable. I still struggle with that a lot, but it's definitely become easier. And so when I'm, when I'm dancing, when I'm, you know, on stage singing, it's just the part that takes over is that my soul is happy. And so I just, it just doesn't matter at that point. And especially when I'm able to use my voice to bring people joy and happiness, like that just feels, that feels really great. I I've always thought singing is more vulnerable than anything, but it's a whole lot easier than talking. (laughs) I like that a lot. I really like that. And it's so, I think it's amazing to find that thing for you and do it more often. Always just do that thing more often if it brings your soul alive. I love that. I could not agree more just because we need those things that make us happy and alive and that brings joy to our soul and it always brings joy to other people I don't know of a time where I've experienced somebody in just genuine euphoria (laughs) where I'm like oh that's just so sweet I love seeing people do that and I think that we need more of that and I feel like especially like neural spicy people we have one we can do that with a lot of things but to me it feels like an extra joy but also the other thing that's really interesting about you is that these aren't kind of temporary hyper focuses. This isn't, oh, I've really enjoyed this thing for like six months or for two weeks. This is part of your life. And I suppose that feeds into these questions about your ability to focus and the attention to detail you need as a notary. Have you had to develop loads of strategies for this? Can you please give me some tips? Um, I have had to develop... Uh, probably an obnoxious amount of strategies to help me focus. I definitely have the uh, the hyper focus thing. Even yesterday, um, one of my best friends, he's wonderful. I called him at maybe seven thirty to eight o'clock at night. I said, "Hey, I'm working on my my website. Can you please look at this with me?" <laughs> like I and I had been at work. My workday ends at six. I was there at eight some in the evening and I I get hyper-focused. So I think one of my tools that I, before I even knew that I had ADHD was that I need breaks. I cannot do, I cannot do long stretches of things that I hate doing. And I, I really realized that in school, I don't know how many times I've started and stopped college. I, I, it was rough. I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. I'm like, maybe if I could do classes that are like four weeks long or <laughs> something like that. Um, I, I just I need breaks. My brain just does not go. It's not steady like that. And of course, that's how we all are, generally speaking. Um, one of my favorite theories is the hunter gather theory or sorry, the hunter farmer theory. And that idea of us being hunters and having these spikes of uh, energy. And then, you know, like the, the farmer just being more steady, I'm not steady. Um, so knowing that I have to, I have to have some level of routine. I, I, I struggle so much with it because as soon as I get out of my routine, then it's gone. (laughs) It's just gone. So uh, things like what I eat helps so much to help my brain not be foggy. Um, Usually, uh, usually I I would be a coffee drinker. Recently, I've stopped drinking coffee, which sounds crazy, especially for those of us who love caffeine. Even though I'm naturally caffeinated, it I, I still like coffee. But I started 
drinking um, like a more natural version of that. So it's actually like a mushroom coffee. So it's made out of mushrooms and um, herbs and stuff. It has enough caffeine that I don't feel like I'm going crazy. But one thing I realized is that coffee spikes my anxiety very, very badly. And it makes me feel like I'm jittery and that I just can't do anything because I already couldn't focus off the rails with coffee, truly bouncing off the walls like something in a cartoon. So I think it's a mix of a lot of things. And also, especially with my friends, asking them to be so gracious with me when I know that I'm probably going to forget a text message. And they know by now. <laughs> They're like, okay, we haven't heard from Lene in two to three business days. She probably just forgot. So <laughs> let's just email or text her again. And so, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a lot of different a lot of different things just trying to figure out what actually makes sense and not feeling bad for doing something differently than other people what you have said here even in your childhood with coming from a religious home the structure of the church and then the structures you're trying to create for yourself to me I imagine that this is kind of the the boundaries the walls the structure that then allows you to be your little neurospicy self in the middle Yeah, I think that that's correct. And I would also say that at the moment, I'm trying to break that down a bit, to be very honest with you. While I I love what I grew up with and I love my community and I'm still a Christian to this day and my faith plays a very large part in how I think about things. So I think that that also might might be what makes this sound a bit different is just because I've had that framework of... Um, I think there's that positivity, that general sense of positivity, or that general sense of um, there's light at the end of the tunnel kind of an idea, or there's always something positive. One of my things that I believe wholeheartedly is that the good outweighs the bad. Like when things are terrible, I may not know what it is at the moment, but there's something good that's going to come out of the mess of life. So I think that general idea um, helps a lot. But I also think that there's a lot of my church structure that I I want to break just because there are there are so many things that I firmly believe that our faith and our like our relationship with God um, it doesn't have to be put into a bubble it doesn't have to be put into a box and it's okay if it lives outside and kind of like like what you're saying about being in nature and I love being in nature. And those are ways that I not only connect to myself and I connect with other people, but I also connect with God. And that was, in fact, nature was the thing that, uh, that made my company happen. So like, I think that there are so many different ways to experience those things. And especially since I would say that there's at least up and coming, there's going to be more and more people who are not religious and that's not going to make sense for them. But I don't think that that means that you can't participate in the thought process. And I think that especially being in America um, to either be religious or to not be religious is not just that. It also, it means your political affiliations and it means like, you know, do you think this or do you have this opinion or, you know, blah, blah, blah. While I understand that's for a lot of people, I just, I just don't think that that is something that we really need to to be about. And I think that there is just so much room to be held for everybody. We can, we can coexist. We can be here. We can be together. There is so much love and so much room for us all. It just, 
I think, but I also think that there's, that there's things that we need to be able to learn from each other as well. And I think that that sense of there is positivity and that there is joy to be had is something that I've not learned anywhere else. And so I'm really, really grateful that my church experience has taught me that because I don't think I would have gotten that anywhere else. The the pattern I'm seeing in what you're saying is about you're at a stage where you're trying to break expectations a little bit. You're trying to figure out or you, you are doing things your own way and perhaps not the way that society has told you to all your life. What does the future look like for you? Yeah, I think part of it is not planning and seeing what happens. Um, I think for me, that part of it would maybe be more relationally um, where I'm just staying open. I'm single. I love being by myself. I, I love my life. Um, and I'm excited to be a wife someday. That's another thing that is not typical is I don't want to be a mom. So that's also a little, it's it's a weird thing for people. And um, and I know that <laughs> my poor family, my stepdad is hilarious. He's like, I want another grandchild. I'm like, that's very interesting. And I'm very glad that you told me that. However, you need to talk to the other six children because... <laughs> I am the wrong one. <laughs> I'm the wrong kid. You're talking to the wrong kid. You might get a son-in-law, but you will probably not get another grandkid. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's hilarious. But um, I, so I think I'm, I think I'm non-traditional in some of those ways of where I would love to be married, but I don't want kids or I didn't finish college. However, I have been in career places that most people go to school for four to six years to even be able to do. So I think that those things are a little non-traditional, but my path forward, it's actually like a returning to myself, which is quite lovely. And I am really, really excited about it. So the whole structure of my company that I want to build is, and I should say, I call my ambition my empire, like a nice empire, not like a mean one. I'm not taking anybody over, but I want to build this this space where people can just be safe and be themselves and so where the nature comes in is my name Lene means linden tree so the and if anybody knows anything about the linden tree it's one of the most beautiful trees that I've ever experienced or known it it across cultures and across you know, just the world and time, it has meant so many different things to different people, the, the healing and the shelter, and they grow to these heights of 50 to 80 feet. Like they're just huge, but they're so soft and they're so fragrant. And they just, they give a home to so many different creatures. It's beautiful. It's truly like a little woodland fairy tree. I love it. But that's what my name means. And I didn't, I knew that that's what it meant, but I didn't know the meaning behind it and what it had been for so many people. Um, and I just thought that that was just so beautiful. And without even knowing it, that's what I've tried to be my, in, in my life. And um, so my path forward in terms of my business is to create that. And so my company is called Linden Grove. My name means Linden Tree, but my company is Linden Grove because I have multiple pieces of my little empire that I want to build. So I've started with my notary business. And a big reason for that is because I want to be able to create um, like a better career path for myself. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of um, growth to be had in my job right now. So especially as the economy has been, I want to be able to create growth for myself. And so in doing that, I want to establish myself. And then the next thing that I want to do is I want to um, build my home. I have tried that process multiple times and 
COVID and all sorts of great things have not made it super easy, which is totally fine. But we still have the ambition. It's still there. But with that, I want to create a venue, like a big venue space. And it'll probably look like a barn because country dancing in Nebraska and all of the things. And it's I feel like that environment is always just really sweet to me. And it just feels very wholesome. So I will be doing that. And then after that, I want to create inside. And all of this is kind of in the same space. It looked like the literal same physical space. <laughs> but I also want to create, um, I, I guess I think of it as like a little corner store where um, I plan to sell, uh, you know, different types of seeds and different things like that. So think of it more of like a nursery. Um, and of course, like we'll have little trees and different things like that. So there's that. And then one thing that has always meant a lot to me is just having a home. So it'll be a little bit separate and it'll hopefully be a little bit after I start establishing all of these things. But I want to create a way for people who are low income to have housing and to have the resources and the ability to build housing, Um, whether it's tiny houses or whatever else. I'm obsessed with tiny houses, but, um, you know, just something where having a home is not so difficult and finding the resources to help you do that. And I know that there are so many to partner with. And so that's why it's a little bit of an offshoot. I don't know that it'll be something that I have to necessarily recreate, but something that I can um, that I can feed into and to help bring that into a more forefront of people's minds. And it just I, I just don't think that it should be so difficult. So, yeah, that's where my business is going. (laughs) My heart is absolutely full with everything you're saying. You started by talking about this returning to yourself. And this is exactly how I phrased it in my writing. I spent so long trying to reinvent myself and be this person that I thought was a successful, wonderful, brilliant woman. And in this process of probably only the past 18 months, Finally, I really feel at peace with myself. And it's not because I've reinvented myself. It's because I have returned to who I am. And I love the idea of the linden tree. It sounds like you have so much to give to the world. And that mixture, as you said, of between being this huge, big tree while still being soft is such a nice metaphor for... For the person I would hope to be, I would hope to be strong whilst also being vulnerable. I would hope to be good to people. I absolutely love this. And weirdly, um, I've been working with a notary in Italy, but my plan is we're buying this huge renovation project with the dream of one day having charities from the UK bring over those behavioral problem youths to come and be in the mountains, to come and ski, to come and climb because I know what nature can do for someone. I know how when you feel trapped in a city or your horizons are just the end of your town, going out into nature can do something to your soul that is just incredibly inspiring. So it sounds like we're, we're both we're both going in the same direction with this. Maybe we're going to have to do exchanges, American-Italian exchanges at some point. I love that so much. That makes my heart so happy. I could not agree with you more. It just, it means everything. It's just the world to have that. I love that you're creating a safe space for people. It's a very long-term goal. Like this house we're closing on, you can see the view out of the roof still. There's holes in the roof. The walls are terrifying. But 
I'm optimistic. <laughs> I feel like there are good people in the world. Life is, the planet is on my side. The world is on my side. I've got good vibes about it. It's going to be fine. I love that. I lo- And I love that. I feel like a lot of us have that. It'll be fine. We can do whatever we want kind of mindset. It's like, oh, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> With really big decisions. I'm so zen. Yeah. But like, tell me how to buy the boxes to move. And I'm, I'm freaking out. Do I go on Amazon? Do I go to the shop around the corner? I can't make that decision. It's insane. That is so funny. I'm the exact same way. I would, to this day, I, okay. There's a, there's a package at work that I have to pick up. When I tell you I've avoided just going over there to pick it up. It's been three days. There's no reason for this, (laughs) but I'm like, Oh, I can open a business. That's fine. In everything you were saying, I was just so inspired by it. But then at the end there, you kind of mentioned the systems in America or in your area that are not great for people. And as someone who uses the NHS, the British healthcare system, I have this view of the American healthcare system as being terrifying. And I just really wanted to pick your brains about how do you navigate that? to get a diagnosis with anything neurodiverse or. Yeah. So I think the big difference is that because we pay for everything, that's what makes it seem scary. And it is. So I think the, the need to pay for everything um, also affords us the ability to get those things and get resources, generally speaking, fairly quickly because money talks. Right. So I think that, what is to me a little bit more scary is sometimes our inability in places where it matters like our schools to to have people who are trained to do that we don't we don't necessarily have trained professionals who are able to pick out what ADHD or what autism or you know anything else is in a general sense we all just kind of get lumped together and so i think that 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 ability to get tested quickly if somebody does think that we have, you know, ADHD, ADD, something like that. Generally speaking, we can get tested quickly. Generally speaking, we can get ourselves into a program that will cater to giving us accommodations for those things in in education. Um, That process is fairly quick. It, It doesn't, you know, it doesn't take months and months and months to do that. I mean, unless there, you know, something else going on, but, you know, you pay your money, you know, you get your thing. And if you have insurance, you know, you, you have that too. And I think um, one of the things that also is very quick here in America is that we are able to give people medicine very quickly. So that process is, you know, I can go to the doctor and I don't take medicine for my, uh, my ADHD, but um, you know, if anything else were to happen, I go to the doctor, I have my appointment by the time that I leave and, you know, go down the street, I can have medicine in my hand. So um, I think that that process <clears throat> For those, I should say very specifically, for those who have access to healthcare here is fairly quick. We do not have universal healthcare here. So that does not mean that that anybody who has insurance can go to the doctor like that. That's just not something that's accessible to everybody, even if you have insurance. So um, I say that with huge caveats, and I was born into the part of society that has those things readily accessible to them. I, there's never been a time where I couldn't go to the doctor. Um, it's There have been a few times where my bill has been kind of high, but um, I've never had anything catastrophically, you know, just, you know, putting me into the hole for months and months. 
I've never experienced that. And I'm the exception. And I'm very, very fortunate to be able to say that. And I, so I do not say that lightly um, because anything that goes wrong um, and I, and I do have medical conditions. Like I have a, like a, I have a hormonal imbalance that if I were to explore certain things would put me into the hole. Um, so I think that's also the caveat with healthcare in America is that, you know, that after a certain point, you know, if you, if you ask too many questions sometimes, you know, and there's, you know, diagnoses that could come from that. You don't, you just don't ask, you just don't go there because it's going to cost you more money than you can show out at the moment. So I think that's also a huge disadvantage is that we make our decisions based off of the money that we can shell out at the moment. Yeah. In the UK, I am such a defender of the NHS. I think it's amazing. But they have just been cut and cut and cut to the bone over the past 12 years. And what this means, especially with this better understanding of neurodiversity now, that adults who are going for assessment are waiting months and years in the UK. And people like myself who are fortunate enough to be able to pay privately, go and pay privately anyway for it. What seems to be the difference maybe is that if a child was showing symptoms in schools in the UK they would get a referral from the education provider they wouldn't have to understand themselves that this is what they're going to the doctors for or their parents wouldn't have to understand is that when you say that things are missed in schools or there's not that referral pathway yeah yeah so whenever you are you know I would say inside of a referral process we don't really have that it's more of like you know if a teacher has a hunch that something might be going on they can tell the parents and say hey your child is displaying x y and z behavior and to me it seems like it's a distraction in class could be something like that and so then the parent it would be on the parents or the caregivers to then take their student and say Hey, my child is displaying this, you know, you know, try to have a conversation with the with the student and, you know, do it that way. It's not so much that somebody would would have like a specific, hey, you need to go to the doctor and they need to check for X, Y, and Z. That's kind of the hard part is that, you know, a doctor will they'll check for certain things, but you know, it's it's just easy to miss because you know, if you have a hunch about what you think is happening and then you find a symptom and it's like, okay, well, let's take that and let's let's use some medicine to see if that helps it. And so then you start to feed, what to me is you feed symptoms. It's not always getting to the root of something. And yeah, so I think that just in a general sense that um, I, and this is truly just personal, I think that we have a lot to learn from everybody else. <laughs> and and I'm not just talking about universal health care or just the way that we assess, you know, our kids. It's it's just in a general sense our approach to health and wellness and life. I I just truly believe that we have so much to learn from the countries and the people who have come before us. And we're a small baby country. We're so small and we're cute and adorable and that's great. But we also take over things and it's a little impulsive. So <laughs> I just think that we can do a better job of, of learning from other people. And, and when you described working with the children and just giving them this real psychologically safe relationship, that's not what our doctors are prescribing, but actually that might be the exact thing someone needs. I think in the UK, there is 
a slight move towards this idea that you can be prescribed this kind of thing. But I'm in complete agreement with you. I don't think that just this Western one size fits all chuck medicine at people will work. Saying that I do take ADHD medication at the moment and it really annoys me that I really like it. I don't know why, but I kind of just didn't want it to be any good because I thought I was doing quite well with all my coping strategies. But I don't want to take medication for the rest of my life. I don't want to rely on this thing. I want to find other things and not have to do that. So we've got a lot to learn in the UK. We've got a lot to learn everywhere, I think. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I I don't take I don't take medicine for my ADHD. Um, but I have taken medicine for other things. And there have been times where I'm like, okay, it works, but I love that idea. I don't want to take medicine for the rest of my life. And I'm a firm believer that our bodies are meant to work in a certain way. And that doesn't mean that we have to be like everybody else. But in terms of us functioning properly or functioning, even with, you know, our dopamine receptors being, you know, as crazy as they can be sometimes. And, you know, those types of things, it's still the concept that's in there. It's like, you know, we have those those cycles in our mind. And even what I was saying about the coffee, like coffee is not, you know, it's not something that you have to do. I like the ritual of coffee, but I mean, there are things that are better for my brain that all I have to do is just switch it and, you know, exercise, getting exercise. And me and my best friend, we just started, <laughs> we just started a gym regimen. He's in a different state. And so we're like, okay, we're going to go to the gym. We're going to do these things. And so even, even if we're struggling, it helps to have that person, and so I think community, our health, um, in a lot of cases, medicine. Medicine is not bad. It, it helps. It really does. And, you know, all of these different things working together, I just think that a holistic approach is better than just trying to, you know, use one and say like, oh, okay, we'll just keep doing that and, you know, just forsaking yeah. the others. I love everything you've said today. And I'm so grateful that you've given me your time because you sound like the busiest woman I've ever met in my life. You know, it does sound like that. <laughs> I feel like I just do a lot. What time in the morning is it for you there? Oh, it's only eight. We got the the day started. It's it's started. That's totally fine. Well, it was so funny because before we were going to talk at like six and I was like, oh, well, I mean, like the sun's up. So yeah, I was like, no, I can't get you out of bed at 6am. Absolutely not. So funny. It's so funny. I truly am highly caffeinated internally somewhere. I promise you it's hilarious to me. They need to they need to kind of bottle you. They need to bottle this energy instead of my bloody medication I get given. <laughs> thank you so much. Is there anything that you want to add? Is there any words of wisdom you have? I think my my biggest thing is that I guess I just, I just hope that this is encouraging for people, but I we have such beautiful brains. Our our minds are just so wonderful and I know that sometimes it can feel like we're dumb or we don't get things and that's just not true. It's not the case. We we have so much to give and so much of our ambition and even lack of ambition sometimes that, that we can share with people. And I hope that what people can get out of just your whole podcast, because the whole thing is beautiful, but I hope that what they can get out of it is that there are so many different versions of us. And while we have a lot of things in common that you have something unique and special to give and that the things that you experience are meaningful and they can be helpful to people and they can just, you know, bring light into the world. So I hope that people become really, really confident in 
and encouraged by what they hear. I feel like you've done that for me. So thank you from me. I feel like energized from this conversation. I feel motivated. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I can go and take on the world now. Thank you so so much. Um, Final thing, like where are we finding these TikTok videos of you? Um, Where where can people find you if they want to look up everything you're up to and everything you're doing? Yeah, so my business is on TikTok and Instagram. It's Linden. I'm sorry, it's LG.notary. And then on Facebook, it's LG.notary and then NE at the end for Nebraska. So there's that. And then that always leads to my personal page. So if you want to see me country dancing, uh, there's that too. <laughs> That's on my personal page though, which is just as open, but it's just Lene Reeves. Thank you for listening to the Hyperactive, Impulsive, Inattentive Living podcast. You can find all the details from today in the notes and I've also written about the episode over on Substack. If anyone you know might be interested in learning more about living with ADHD, please help spread the message and share this episode. See you next week.